Welcome to an episode of Leah and the Internet. I hope you enjoy the show. Leah and the Internet features rotating guests who discuss the impact the Internet has on the world. So who's Leah Devon Sorrentino? I'm an artist, currently living in Minneapolis. I'm excited to introduce artist and activist Emma Eubanks. At 20 years old, Emma provides a unique perspective about how social media impacts our communities and ourselves. I'm here with Emma Eubanks, a former student of mine, which is pretty exciting because uh, I don't think I've ever interacted with a former student of mine outside of a college institution. So I'm really happy to have you here right now. Yeah, I'm super excited about this. I'm Emma and I'm 20 years old. I go to MCAD, and I love the internet, so I'm ready to talk (laughs) a lot about it. (laughs) Awesome. And where can people find you online, since you love the internet so much? Yeah, my website is emmaubanks.squarespace.com. Don't need to spell that. (laughs) Maybe you're like, yeah, maybe maybe spell it out. (laughs) All right. It's uh, emmaubanks.squarespace.com. Awesome. And are you on like Twitter or anything like that? I'm not on Twitter, no. I uh we have to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> we do. I had a Twitter. I got a Twitter when it like first came out when I was in sixth grade. And oh uh, all I did was complain about my youth group and post pictures of myself dancing and like Abercrombie shirts. So that's like a relic of my past that like the account is still there. But it's like a historical. Yeah, and I'm never going to go back because I'm just going to pose more pictures of myself dancing. And (laughs) I just don't want to relive that part of my life. You should do a project where you recreate all of those photos. Horrible. Like, but wait even like longer. Yeah. So I'm really pumped that you're on the podcast besides being a very well-informed, smart woman uh, <laughs> thank you <laughs> but we had become friends on Facebook after um, and I have this like hard rule that I'll never befriend students on Facebook while I'm teaching them because like I just don't want to see hungover pictures and then being like why isn't your project here right. and like I know why your project <laughs> like, um, so there's that relationship but then I will become friends with students after I teach the course because uh, the nice thing about teaching at college is that like everybody's adults right, right. or at least we're all trying to be adults and pretending to be. But uh, from following you, you are incredibly active and poignant and pertinent on Facebook. So I was like, you know, I haven't had a guest yet that is of a generation that has always lived with social media, always lived online, uh, who is also really informed and doing things that I think is really powerful with it. And I shared with you this BuzzFeed, I don't even know if you can call BuzzFeed articles articles, listicles, I think (laughs) is the term for it. But it's uh, one of the ones where they do that, where they do a title where it seems like they're going to say something slanderous, but then it's, you know, counter to what they, so like, it'll be like, fat girl should never wear sheer clothing, but then it's like a bunch of beautiful, like women and like sheer clothing. Anyway, so I shared with you, you know, 23 times millennials, like took it too far, but it was just like a bunch of old people doing the things that an older generation probably is like surpassing like the late millennial generation constantly complains about like all these old people just like looking at their phone or like being on dates with one another and just like both reading or driving while texting and I wanted to start the conversation with kind of the double standard that I think is placed on a younger generation online because it always seems like it's an older generation talking about how specifically social media is this waste of time And as somebody who uses social media, in my opinion, very effectively, not wasting your time, I thought that we would start there and 
do you find social media a waste of time? No, I absolutely don't. Like, I'm, I can't lie and say that I don't ever waste my time on social media, but, I mean, everyone wastes their time now and again, <laughs> yeah. but, I mean... Well, as if, like, social media is the first place that, like, you're saying, like, people waste of time. Like, I'm sure that that was, like, television. Television right. was the waste of time before the internet, and before that, it was probably magazines. Yeah, I think that. the older generation is always going to just be a little bit jealous of whatever generation comes after them and is more efficient (laughs) at, like, communication or technology than they are. So I guess I would say if someone sees me on the street or on the bus looking at my phone, it looks like I'm not doing anything. I could be checking up on how a friend is doing. I could be looking at, like, what events are coming up. I could be posting something that I think is very important. Or I could be looking at memes. Like, that doesn't necessarily make it less or more of a waste of time, I guess, because it all, I think, like, connects me to, like, the society that I'm a part of and, like, the culture that, like, I'm an active part in. That word connection is, like, the the biggest point. It always seems like there's this assumption that people are disconnected through their device. Like, the the device itself, like, proves, like, a distance or something. But as somebody who's had to travel a lot, I have found that social media has actually made me much more aware and informed of the people that I care about and what they're doing and when they're doing it and where. And it's almost like I'm like a little detective, like constantly being able to not just keep tabs, but like have this experience where I really get to see who these people I care about want to be. There's conversations that are critical online about how you have to brand yourself. Like now everybody's like a marketing item and you have to have your personal brand. And But I don't necessarily think that everybody is that calculated about it. Before we started recording, you brought up a really great point about like the selfie revolution or like selfies in general and how they're actually where some people think of them as vain or egotistical they can also be really empowering. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I guess Instagram is a really good example of that because on Instagram, I would say that everything I do is pretty calculated. Like (laughs) I've got my pictures and I've got the filters, but then I'm like, let's make this seem natural so I won't use the filters. (laughs) But then like every caption I have, like it's really not necessarily well thought out, but it's thought out and it's planned. And I like make my decisions before I post something, but it gives me like a level of control that I really wouldn't otherwise get. And it's nice to know that like I can be like autonomous or sort of like self-deciding and like mm-hmm. what image gets put out there. Like you said, it's really empowering to know that like what people know about me, I can control. Sure. One thing that like freaks people out about like Facebook or technology in general is like the idea that like everybody can see you. But if you can control that, it's a very powerful tool to be able to use. And that's like a really great point because I've had a lot of conversations, especially with artists where they talk about this like threat of privacy Mm -hmm. as if our lives were really private before the internet, which is, that's a fallacy. If people took our picture, we had no control over it before. Like the only image that we would have is the one that other people have taken of us and Mm -hmm. then decided how to disseminate it. But now we can also control that conversation of like how, how we want to be perceived, how we want people to interact with us, what we want people to know about us. And then on the flip side, it's also this like catalyst of like celebration. I I do this much more on Snapchat than I do on Instagram because Mm -hmm. like to me, Instagram's still like a little bit too permanent to really post selfies. Yeah. But I do it all the time with Snapchat where I send it to my friends of like, I think I look good today. I mean, that was never in my world even 10 years ago. Like there wasn't a moment where like if I thought I looked good that I would have shared it with somebody. And now doing that, 
Like I feel much more comfortable with my appearance, what people think of it, how I can share it with others. Yeah, absolutely. I think that I've definitely come to like love myself and my flaws a lot more now that like I can post whatever I want. Because if I can post a picture and I have acne on my face or I think my nose looks ugly or I'm not wearing makeup, like I'm the one doing that and sort of owning it. Whereas maybe five years ago, even when I didn't have any social media accounts, because I was <laughs> under 13, um, <laughs> anything that was posted of me, I was just going to hate because it felt like someone like sort of taking a part of me in a sense, like sure. my face, my entire image, like slapping it on the internet without my consent. So just being able to like, I think really own your own image is such a cool tool to be able to have. Like I think about the affirmation that mm -hmm. you get when posting something like that. And it, that's another area where people talk about it in kind of this negative way that like people only searching for likes or, or, but I don't understand what's so negative about a world where you're receiving affirmation for something that you're creating and putting out. I do think that even people who are not artists when they are curating their Instagrams or their Facebooks or Twitter or any of those things, you are like making something and then putting it into the world. And yeah, there's a lot of negativity that exists, but that negativity is also offline. Like you might have acne, you know that you have acne mm. and everyone's like, girl, you look good. And you're like, yeah, I look good. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's yeah, a great feeling. And another thing that I've noticed a lot is that like people that I wouldn't necessarily speak to ever, or I would be uncomfortable or intimidated speaking to outside of like the online realm, I can communicate with like effortlessly online just because you have that barrier of being able to say exactly what you're thinking and not yeah. having to be on the spot or on your feet like I feel a lot more confident online in certain situations just because I can control how I present myself so as far as like connecting with people goes I think that I can like get my points across a lot more easily even if I'm just commenting on someone's selfie and like saying like you said like damn you look good like I wouldn't necessarily <laughs> be able to do that in real life just because I would be so focused on how I sound how I look sure it's gonna come out right am I making enough eye contact am I making too much eye contact and I think that it's also a really great tool to even have conversations generationally, right? Before asking you to come on this podcast, we had a very specific relationship, right? Mm -hmm. I was an educator, you were a student, and then there's a certain type of idea of how that relationship's supposed to play out in real right. life. However, on Facebook, if you post something or I post something, there it becomes like this equal playing field. Mm -hmm. And I would never comment on a student's physical appearance in my classroom. That right. just would not happen. However, on social media, if someone like looks really nice that day and I know that they're looking for that type of right. like comment or affirmation, I can do that in that space. And also in the other sense, like I don't think that students necessarily always feel comfortable challenging what authority figures you're less likely to challenge them even if you think that they're wrong yeah. however on a space like i'm pretty sure if i put some really heinous thing on facebook at at the bare minimum you would unfriend me yeah like, you have some type of control where in a physical space like that that changes because we have these ideas of like respecting elders respecting authority but the other thing that I think is interesting is the assumption of like how time is spent online that you mentioned, like this idea of you being on a bus and you could be doing something quote unquote important or quote unquote trivial, right. but all of them impact your life. And you shared with me a Facebook group 
that was started after the murder of Philando Castile. And that to me is an area like politics on Facebook is an area that I think that a lot of academics and artists and other um, intellectuals want to ignore as like a really important space. And you seem pretty active. One of the big things about social media and like an activist sense is that it's so accessible to everyone. If you want to read a text about race or gender or whatever, you know, throughout history, you can do that if you have access to one. But almost everyone has access to the internet. You can, you know, on your phone, on the computer, on a library computer, everyone has access to that. So it's so much more important, I think, for the people who are, I think, most often affected to be able to like directly impact what they're seeing or what they're like putting out there. So if an academic, I guess, wants to say that the internet isn't a useful tool for activism, I think that they should rethink what activism means to them because it should be by and for the people that are affected. Mm -hmm. Facebook is such a useful tool to be able to do that because everything you post is instant. Like for example, um, we wouldn't know about the Philando Castile shooting or case at all if his girlfriend hadn't live streamed it. There would be no 20 day occupation if it hadn't been posted on Facebook. We wouldn't know about the police coming in and the riot gear or anything if it wasn't live streamed because the narrative that like the police were putting out and that the reporters were putting out was so wildly different than what was actually happening. So people could see directly that that wasn't the truth when they were looking at the um, live stream videos or Facebook pictures of the people that were actually there. So it's so important to be able to like control your own narrative as it's happening instead of after the fact. And Facebook is, I think, and social media in general is like really the only way at this point that you can do that. Sure. I was thinking uh, when I was in San Francisco, I went to see this film screening of this documentary from the 1970s called The uh, Fall of the Eye Hotel. Mm-hmm. And San Francisco has a very complex history with gentrification, like most major cities now do. Mm-hmm. And they showed a lot of the protests that were happening. And because like 1970 isn't that long ago, there was people in the audience who were at those protests and who occupied that space. And just a little bit of history, the I Hotel housed a large male Filipino elderly community Mm -hmm. that was through many of the systems in the United States kind of forced into this scenario, but it did create a strong community for these men. And then because of an industry that was coming in that wanted the property, they essentially said that the hotel wasn't up to living standards, however, didn't provide any additional living assistance for these people, and eventually had a year-long standing where people were occupying the building, even though they were trying to close the building down, and then they were forcibly taken out. Mm. So there was lots of protests, and like you mentioned, the 20-day protest, it was this long, long endeavor that eventually ended in a tragic story, and the hotel was abandoned for years, and now is just gone. Mm-hmm. And so is that whole community. So there was people in the audience who were at that protest, and one of them was like, I don't understand why young people aren't doing anything about, like, why aren't they protesting? Why aren't... And I thought that was like a really kind of short-sighted thing to say because I see digital 
interaction and community of unrest all the time. It almost like was like those conversations weren't important. Mm -hmm. And you bringing up like this idea that I was able from a distance because I wasn't in Minneapolis during that occupation and I could see every day who I knew was there, what they were talking about, if they needed assistance, if, you know, uh, there were several times that you posted like, hey, these are things that you can bring that people need. How else would that information have been able to... Yeah, exactly. There. There's I mean, just, we don't have phone trees anymore. Right. I can't think of another way. Like, there's, I really don't think that there is another way except like word of mouth, but that's what Facebook is. It just reaches a much larger audience in specific regard to the occupation. A community was built in that short amount of time. It was only built because people were bringing in the supplies that we needed. And without social media, no one would have known what that is. There's like a team of lawyers right now working with the people that got arrested and they were all contacted through social media. Um, There was a church that opened their doors up for the protesters so that they would have a place to stay. I don't think anyone would have known about that if it weren't for social media. I think all of the organizing was done through social media. Like, it's just such an effective tool. I think it would be impossible to try to have that big of a movement without the use of the internet. Yeah. It would just have been swept under the rug. Completely. Like you stated before, it would have, the story would have been controlled by the people who were not actually participating in it. And ultimately probably shown in a negative light. I was reading this survey about the hashtag Black Lives Matter. Mm. And then during the time of, the, in early July, during those the back-to-back shootings of Alan Sterling and Philando Castile, there was an overwhelming support around the hashtag. Like the sentiment was positive. And then after the police shootings in Dallas, the sentiment turned negative and then where people were using the hashtag all lives matter before that shooting as a as negatively it flipped yeah and the reason that i'm bringing that up is if that can happen even in a community that's actually creating this proactiveness and that's coming from the people Mm -hmm. imagine what the narrative then becomes when it's controlled even by a liberal media i remember the shift of we need to talk about black lives matter to whoa policemen got shot and now we have to change this conversation quickly yeah i'm not even surprised by that at all i think just as a black woman in general i'm pretty pretty tentative to just believe that there's like this overwhelming amount of support that's not like completely surface level so When I read the article that you shared and just like from experiencing it, I wasn't surprised to see people like jumping at the first opportunity to sort of take it back and be like, well, now you guys have given us a reason to go against your movement or to knock you guys down. But I think that even when a hashtag like Black Lives Matter is seen as a negative thing, the people that are like going against it are the ones that probably weren't that interested in upholding the ideas in the first place, maybe more interested in just either ignoring it or like sharing it as a very um, superficial sort of thing, like hashtag Black Lives Matter and then like not thinking any deeper than that. Yeah. Really all I can say is that whether or not you support the hashtag, you're not gonna be able to escape it. That's why I think it's such a powerful hashtag. Like just the word, Hashtag, I think, does have that sort of like flighty connotation. Yeah, like people assume it's trivial. Yeah, like Throwback Thursday and stuff like that. But 
you really can't go anywhere without seeing it. If you're online, it's in like Twitter, like television commercials now, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. It's just such a overwhelming hashtag that whether or not you agree with it or you don't, you're not going to be able to ignore it. And I think that's really important. Well, it saturates. And and like the reason that hashtags were created was to create virility, right? To make them viral and make them easily searchable. And that's what to me is amazing that a whole political movement was started based off of a hashtag like it didn't start political movement i mean there was a political movement Mm -hmm. around but not specifically black lives matter movement the hashtag superseded the organization of people and i think that that's that's really powerful that that happened and i've talked about it on the on this podcast before, but not necessarily in the way that we are now. Mm. Of, that's important that it's inescapable. Mm-hmm. Like whether you understand it or not, the fact that you have to be confronted with it, which is uh, a situation that, especially from the article that I shared, uh, mm. white liberals opt out of, which is a conversation about race. And that hashtag doesn't allow you to not have the conversation. Right. Just as far as like the political movement goes, I think that a very small percent of this generation or any generation is necessarily equipped to become like organizers or great political activists. You know, like it just takes a certain type of person. Not everyone has the time, you know, whatever to be able to um, go out there and organize a protest and lead an occupation or, you know, whatever it may be. But really anybody can say Black Lives Matter online. And it also gives you the power, if you disagree with it, you can argue or you can learn about it. But like at the end of the day, like it's, like you said, still going to be out there. You're going to have to confront it eventually. So I think that's a really another great thing is that it's such a simple thing to do. Hashtag Black Lives Matter, like someone could not read into it at all or someone could read into it a lot, but you still have the power to go out there and say it. Yeah. Which, that's another thing that you wouldn't necessarily have the power to do even 15 years ago. I think that both of us are in an interesting position because we're artists and we're in a community of people who most of the time, and I've been very surprised as an art educator at points in my life, uh, how not liberal art students can be, but Mm -hmm. in a community that prides themselves on being educated and inclusive and especially right now, and I'm, I'm sure that you've heard the term like social justice practice or social practice, but then there's also this strange duality of wanting to be activist in art, which I, I actually find a very problematic relationship, mm-hmm. but then this kind of negativity towards the internet or like internet culture. And I've experienced that a lot in the art world. I'm making an assumption that you might have too. That, Absolutely. You know, where it's like, like, oh, I'm not on Facebook. It's like when, my, for my generation, it was like, oh, I don't own a TV. Right. It's like, well, then you're boring as fuck. <laughs> like, <laughs> didn't know you were super unaware of everything. Right. And it's interesting to hear you talk about how influential and important, especially during something that's very relevant to Minneapolis community, how important social media played in that. And then hearing how the art world wants to be about social practice and social justice, but then kind of ignore this online space. It yeah. seems like, then why is every why is the art world focused? And I don't know the answer to this either, but like, why is the art world focused on social practice, but ignoring social media? Anyone who wants to put something about any really social issue in a gallery space where only a certain, a certain... Like, it's a very specific audience. That, yeah, a very specific <laughs> audience 
probably not the people that you're talking about. Never the people. Yeah, so, like, what the internet does is make it so that everyone can see it. And I don't understand, like, why anyone would have a problem with that or why they would think that they're above that. Because I think if you want to have activist art, if that's what you're going for, it's very false if it's not, like, for the people. Sure. And I think that, like, that's what's so important about art is that it's for the people. Not, you don't have to, like, you don't have to be an artist who wants to let everyone see your work. But if you're going to be talking about certain issues, you should make Absolutely. sure that people are going like, to be able I to don't see believe that, like, there's also with the social practice movement, this idea of, like, you know, broader audience, broader audience. And I think that it's fine that there's some art for artists or yeah. there's, like, art for a specific audience. What I think becomes problematic is what you're saying is if you're making art that is supposed to be about... A social issue but right. that community that you're talking about most likely cannot or would not know how to participate in your piece then wh- who are you actually making it for i went to an opening at the soap factory the three by five residency yeah, shows I had friends in that. and there was somebody that had spray painted on the wall like look at the work not through your phone Something along those lines. Mm -hmm. Essentially, like, don't use your phone during this show. I immediately turned away from the piece Mm -hmm. for this assumption that if it was a camera, does it make it different if I took a picture with a camera than a phone that had internet ability? But it's, wouldn't you want whatever you're talking about to go beyond this gallery? Like, do you assume that because I'm using my phone or Instagram that like I am somehow being selfish or self-involved. I feel like you need to do a better job of not telling people what to do or how to interact with your art because who gets the privilege to decide how their audience behaves. Yeah, exactly. And just the idea of immediacy in relation to, especially with like the three by five show, which I think sort of dealt with like current events. Sure. More or less. Most of the issues that people talk about are like time specific, you know, maybe not in a broader sense, but for the most part, they're like pretty relevant to the era that we're in now. So like people being able to see it in real time sort of, I think, plays such a big part in whether or not a piece is effective. Yeah. I have a project that I started inspired by one of the projects that you had given us in class where I go out and I post images of women of color all over the city and I post all the pictures to the Instagram page that I made for it. So you can, you know, see it out in the real world or you can see it online. But either way, I'm trying to make it so that it's about people in the city, for people in the city, and then still online so that anyone, if they want to, would be able to look at it. So it's that sort of idea of immediacy. Like, it can literally affect everyone. There's an assumption, like, when people say, like, live in the real world or be present, that everybody in the quote-unquote real world gets to be seen. Women are not always seen. People of color are not always seen. People of certain classes are not always seen. And what I love about the internet is that it creates this platform where people can be seen. And you creating a project like that, which is lots of pieces of writing talking about how like specifically women of color specifically black women are not seen in our society so being able to collect those images Mm -hmm. and really having like a moment with them 
not everybody's gonna get that moment in the physical world, especially in an academic context, which most of the time gets exclusively for white people who right. live in white areas without being able to present that to a community that's not gonna interact. Like that's at least a starting point, right? Of a conversation that would not happen if Instagram didn't exist. Exactly. and. I mean, as far as like how women aren't seen when we are seen, it's through this like an image that's forced upon us. Mm -hmm. So stereotypes and any sort of just like way that we're viewed in general. So I think that like if you get the option to be able to like, again, put your own image out there. I mean, even if it does fit into like whatever stereotypes, it's still authentic. Yeah or more authentic than it would be if it's coming from a white man or a white artist, you know, in an enclosed space that's not in touch with the community at all. So I would almost say that like a black woman or just a woman of color in general, posting a picture of herself online would be more of a work of art than a, a white artist posting like their ideas around black women or sure. women of color in a gallery. It's also to me like a very political statement. Through this conversation, that's that's really how this feels is that this space though people want to assume it as not important or even sometimes not a space like social media is just like to some people just they ignore the relevancy in everyone's lives is that this is a chance for people to be political in ways that they don't even know that they're being political. Right. By being able to take control of their own image, their own perception, their story. Because in reality, most of the time, a lot of people don't have that kind of control. Mm -hmm. And these accounts aren't free because they're run by businesses and nothing is free. But they're, like you said, like they're accessible in the sense that like computers aren't desktop expensive things anymore. They're phones. Right. Um, Which means that it's made it to where so many more people can have representation. Yeah, absolutely. Computers have like become phones now. Like you really, it's very hard to live without one. Mm-hmm. I think like in a lot of situations, you can't get a job unless you have a computer. You're not going to be able to do your work if you don't have a computer. So the fact that like our lives, whether you want to admit it or, or not, our lives do revolve around the internet so much mm-hmm. as a tool of education and communication I think that we should just embrace it. You know, I, I don't think that there should be any resistance because it's kind of pointless. Like you, you just, there's no way around it. Like we yeah. live in a world controlled more or less by machines. And so I'm going to use that for my benefit instead of like rejecting having an iPhone because it's a shallow thing to have or because I'm wasting my time. I'm going to use it for my education and then I'm going to use it to look at pictures of cats. You know, (laughs) I'm going to use it like to the fullest extent because I have the ability to do that. And by doing so, you're creating criticality around the, the medium, around the device, around the space where opting out means that you get no voice at all. How many times in history has it shown the people who have opted out or have not participated have benefited? They're either left behind or they're categorized as the people who stopped progress. There's a quote, I don't know the exact phrase, but it's a pretty popular one about something about like victors writing history, where it's like the people that have like the power to like tell the story are the ones that are remembered and just technology has advanced so much like the way you tell your story now is through the internet like the way you're seen 
the way you get access to opportunities is through the internet. So like I said before, it's kind of inescapable. And I would much rather be able to do something with a couple types and, you know, hit enter and I'm done <laughs> than have to use carrier pigeon. <laughs> I really only see the internet as a positive. I mean, of course, there's like, as far as like the spreading of information and communication, there's like with great power comes great responsibility. Information is spread so fast. It's easy for misinformation to be spread or half-truths to be spread. Sure, like, and because there's the space in between like you and seeing the person or people you're interacting with, it's easy to be negative. It's easy oh, to... Yeah. You're still you know, communicating so much faster and more efficiently than I think that we've ever been able to do. So, I yay, love internet. internet. <laughs> I love the internet. <laughs> well, Emma, this was a really great conversation and I'm really pumped that I got to have it with you. And I think that anybody that would listen to this would understand that there is not non-dumbing down of a younger generation because you are way more articulate and smarter than I was (laughs) at 20. And I thought I was the smartest person on earth. So just again, where can people find you online? Um, So my website is emmaubanks.squarespace.com. And the Instagram page that I was talking about is the City Visibility Project. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you. It's been real. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure to follow Emma's City Visibility Project at Instagram.com slash City Visibility. As always, please share your thoughts and opinions about this episode's themes on Twitter at and the Internet and on the blog at LeeandTheInternet.com. You can also find the show on Facebook.com slash LeeandTheInternet and on iTunes.